Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Not a town that people expect great things from. Now, people may not expect great things from Nazareth, but it does have a couple things going on for itself. We want to think about the name of the town. Nazareth comes from the Hebrew word netzer, which means root or branch or shoot. The name of the town becomes more significant when we begin to read the prophet Isaiah. And we're, we're in chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And we read, a stump will come up, a shoot, excuse me, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch which will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. A shoot, a netzer, coming up from the stump of Jesse. So coming up from the Davidic line of kings that has been cut off, shoot, a netzer will come forth. So it may be small, but in its name, you get a hint of the great things that will come from Nazareth. But it has more going for it than just a name. It also has water. The town contained a spring. And if you were traveling through Nazareth, you may not want to spend much time there, but you may put it on your route so that you can stop and get water. The town contained this spring, and the waters that came from it were referred to as living water. And to all that lived there and to all who passed through, that living water was life itself. So consider these words from the prophet Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So Nazareth had water going. That was one thing it had. And another thing wasn't really a thing. It was a young girl of about 13 years of age. Now Mary was probably fairly typical of the, of the women and the people in her town. Small town values, uneducated, and in her case, like most of the 13-year-old girls, she was betrothed. And it might sound weird to us that a 13-year-old girl would be betrothed, but remember, they had a shorter lifespan in those days and a very different culture. So Mary was probably much more mature and more adult-like than the 13-year-olds that we know in our lives. I mean, personally, I don't know a 13-year-old who's ready to have a child. So, um, but she's 13 years old. She's betrothed. And betrothal was kind of similar to being engaged, but not quite. The custom of the day be, 
it would, the whole, how would you, you put it, the whole custom of, of courting someone was that you would, uh, it would begin with betrothal, and that would be followed by a one-year engagement, and then that would be finalized with a formal ceremony. Of course, after the ceremony, that's when the couple would consummate their marriage and begin having children. Um, but at this morning's point in the story, Mary is not yet engaged. Her fiancé has brought that first portion of the dowry given it to the family, and they have promised that Mary will be held for him. She's been reserved. And then engagement would happen when the next portion of the dowry would come, and it was considered that was engagement, and the planning for the wedding would begin. So Mary's a normal, ordinary first century Palestinian 13-year-old girl, right? Well, maybe not. Scripture describes Mary as kekeritomene. For some reason, I cannot pronounce this particular Greek word. You know, I can say theodokos, which is uh, God-bearer, but kekeritomene uh, just doesn't come off the lips. But anyway, Greek word. And the Greek word means that she is full of grace. And we have often heard that, you know, Hail Mary, Mother Mary, full of grace. What does it mean that Mary is full of grace? See, when we speak of grace, we are usually speaking about God's kindness, about God's love, and about God's care. And we might also understand it as um, God's work on our behalf. Or we might understand grace as God's blessing, as God's gifts, or as God's goodness. But what really makes those things grace is that they come to us completely undeservedly. You see, grace indicates the idea of pure gift, not reward. God's grace is powerful. It has the power to change lives. Because it is not a reward. It's simply, simply something that God pours forth on us. And in some special way, Mary was filled with that grace, with that power. So, one day when Mary is going to the spring to fetch water for the house, it's there that she encounters the angel Gabriel who tells her that she's going to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit, give birth to a son that would be great, and that she was to name him Yeshua, which is Hebrew for Jesus. And this is a strange encounter, and this is a strange offer. And despite its strangeness, Mary looks at this visitor, at this messenger, and says, Here I am, a servant of the Lord. She's no ordinary girl, right? As we start on this journey, the birth of that promised child, Mary's interaction with the angel tells us something about God's character. First of all, God looks for the meek and the humble 
use for his great purposes. I'm going to repeat that. God looks for the meek and the humble to use for his great purposes. You see, over and over and over in the stories of the Bible, we, God does not choose to work from the top down. God doesn't grab or move those people at the top. He's always picking someone that seems to be overlooked or ordinary or humble or meek or low. Sometimes someone who seems to be outside the circle of goodness. These are the people that God over and over seeks out to be used for his great purposes. And the nativity story follows this pattern. The story begins in an insignificant town. Mary is a typical, ordinary girl. But God looks at things differently than we do. God looks into people's hearts. And then God chooses the least likely to accomplish the most important work. And you see, and it, it might be that the Apostle Paul was thinking about Jesus' birth when he writes these words to the Corinthians. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And later on in his letter to the church, the author of James writes, but God gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So God chooses a girl who is full of grace. And that tells us that grace is at the very center of what God is doing at Christmas. And I also think that it's kind of a funny play on word. For Mary's body will begin to hold the developing child, Jesus, who we understand to be God's vessel of grace. So when we speak of Mary being full of grace, as the nativity story develops, she literally is full of God's grace in the form of Jesus Christ. The story also tells us something about Jesus. You remember how the angel Gabriel told Mary that she's to name this child Yeshua? Well, the name means God helps, God saves, God delivers. Jesus wasn't coming to conquer or condemn or destroy. He was coming to save and deliver humanity from sin and death. And Angel Gabriel said that the child would be great and would be the long-awaited messianic king. But it wasn't going to be the kind of Messiah King that Israel was expecting. Because Jesus wasn't just for Israel. Jesus was for the whole world. Jesus wasn't just for the important people, the wealthy people, the powerful people. Jesus was for people who were overlooked, who were forgotten, 
who were excluded, who were pushed away, who were stepped on. Jesus was for everybody. As we prepare to celebrate Christmas, remember that we celebrate the birth of a deliverer, God's Son, and the King of an eternal realm. And this kingdom, it's not defined by geography. Rather, it is defined by the faith and devotion of those who call Jesus Savior and Lord. See, Jesus described this kingdom more as a way of living and not so much as a place. Now this year as I was contemplating the Christmas story anew, I, I had to wonder, did Mary want to be Mary? When she was growing up, did she have these dreams that she was going to be Mother Mary, full of grace? And I asked that question because when I consider the request that the angel Gabriel made of Mary, it is not an easy request. There is nothing simple about the angel's ask. Because it was going to require great sacrifice and great risk from this 13-year-old girl. You see, the first thing is that if a woman in that time were to become pregnant with a baby that wasn't her husband's, well, the town had the right to drag her out into the middle of town and pick up rocks and throw them at her until she was dead. And secondly, women always wondered if they would survive the birth of their children. We don't talk about it too much, but during this time, the number of women who died during childbirth was, was like one of the leading causes, if not the leading cause, of women dying. Being pregnant and giving birth was a scary thing. And lastly, once her fiancé found out that she was pregnant, even if he decided not to let everybody know and to go and to have her stoned, it would mean the end of the betrothal. And it would mean disgrace upon her family. And it might mean that she would not be able to find a husband. And it might mean that she would become an outcast. And yet, even with all these risks and even with all the sacrifices involved, Mary looks at the angel and she says, Here am I, servant of the Lord. And in her response, we see her as an example and a witness of how we are supposed to live our Christian lives. See, God's will and God's ways are sometimes difficult to discern and sometimes they're just plain difficult and sometimes the things that God urges us and moves us to do and calls us to do sometimes they're gonna cost us sometimes they're difficult and yet when that request truly is of God what we find is that grace and faith carry us through sac 
the sacrifices, carries us through until we can see the blessing and the grace that emerges. A couple years ago, I had the privilege of going to Ginghamsburg United Methodist Church and got to meet Mike Slaughter, who wrote a book called Christmas is Not Your Birthday. In the same spirit of that book, that idea that Christmas is not our birthday, the season of Advent brings us an invitation, as surely as Gabriel brought an invitation to a young Hebrew girl. And you see, if we are willing as well, we too can be filled with grace. And through us, God can change lives. And through us, God can change the world. And it might not be a high-profile thing to do. And it might not be an easy thing to do. And it might not be what we had envisioned for ourselves. But if we answer, here I am, a servant of the Lord, then we will get to see God's grace bloom. And we will get to bring new life into this world. Now, how many of you are watching uh, God Friended Me? CBS, Sunday night, 8 o'clock? Yeah. It's, if you haven't, it's a good show. It's, uh, it's a little predictable. Um, and if you want to, you can pick things at it. But it's a fun premise. About a guy named Miles who's an atheist, he's got his podcast, and his podcast, he calls himself the Millennial Prophet. But his father is an Episcopal priest in, uh, in Harlem. And what changed for Miles was he lost his mother in a car accident. And as you walk through the story, I don't want to give too much away, but you see how his father responded by going deeper into his faith. And you see how his son had moved away from his faith as a result of his disappointment. And they're both doing work that they feel is important. Father preaches on Sunday morning about God being with us, about the importance of serving God, and about God's call to go and do good in the world. And Miles gets on his microphone, and he is proclaiming to people that they need to take responsibility for their own lives, for their own decisions, because there is no God. And then something happens. Miles on his Facebook, gets an invitation from someone claiming to be God. And he refers to it as the God account. And the God account starts suggesting new friends for Miles. And what Miles begins to learn is that he feels that whoever is running the God account wants him to help these people. And he steps out and he starts helping people and starts seeing how good things are happening. But he still doesn't believe in God and he's trying to figure out who's behind the God account. But there's a scene where, God, where Miles 
makes that decision that he is not going to say yes, that he resists that call. And as a result, things start kind of going whack until he finally says yes again. And I don't know where it's going, but you see he and his father growing closer together. But it comes back to those urgings and the way that God works in our lives. That there are those urgings, those gut feelings, those moments where we know that God is tapping us on the shoulder to step out and do something. Sometimes something big, sometimes something small. Usually with some kind of step out beyond what is comfortable for us. It was nothing heroic, but there was one Sunday night back when I was in seminary. I had just finished youth group. Parent had brought snacks, so we had dirt cakes, which was, you ever, it's like crushed up Oreos, some whipped cream, and like gummy worms in it. And I had, had like three of them sitting in the car, and I stopped at the grocery store to get something and didn't have any money. But um, as I was walking out, someone asked, you know, do you have any money to help me get something? And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash. And I got to my car, and I'm getting ready to go home. I look down, and I see those little things. So I take them out, and I walk over. I said, you know, this isn't much. Uh, it's left over from youth group, but it's all I have. Um, you know, want them? The guy looked at him, and he just, <laughs> it was one of those moments where the tear comes down, and he just says, you know, it's, I literally just lost my job a week ago, and we're trying to figure out, me and my family are trying to figure out what we're going to do. He's like, no, it's not going to feed my family, but you're the first person that's actually looked me in the eye and come back and expressed something. To me. Like, I felt invisible. I just needed someone to see me. Not big. Not earth-moving for anybody except maybe the guy. But it was me sitting in the car feeling God saying, don't walk away from me. I didn't want to go back. I just wanted to go home. Sometimes we get those urgings and they're not convenient. They're not what we want. And certainly, it's not the same as being told you're going to be carrying a child. But we need to be able to stand here and say, here I am, a servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me. May this be our cry. May this be our response at each and every urge that God brings us. Amen. Life is full of sweet surprises, every day's a gift. The sun comes up and I can feel it lift my spirit. Fills me up with laughter, 
fills me up with song. I look into the eyes of love and know that I belong. Bless us all who gather here, the loving family I hold dear. No place on earth compares to home, and every path will bring me back from where I roam. Bless us all, that as we live, we always comfort and forgive. We have so much that we can share with those in need we see around us everywhere. Let us always love each other. Lead us to the light. Let us all hear the voice of reason singing in the night. Let us run from anger and catch us when we fall. Teach us in our dreams, and please, yes, please, bless us one and all. Bless us all with playful years, with noisy games and joyful tears. We reach for you, and we stand tall, and in our prayers and dreams we ask you, bless us all. We reach for you, and we stand tall. And in our prayers and dreams, we ask you, bless us all. Thank you, Jeff. As we gather at the table of the Lord, I remind you that here in the United Methodist Church, we have an open table. Everybody is welcome. No test you have to take. There's no introduction you have to make. You are welcome to come and receive these, the free gifts of God. We believe that grace is what makes them operative, what makes them effective. And all it requires is a de desire to come and receive, desire to participate. Because remember, God looks at what's on the inside. I invite you to open up in your hymnals and join me in the great thanksgiving. In the red hymnal on page 13, The Lord be with you. And also with you. We lift up our hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Almighty God, creator of the heavens and of the earth. Your prophets promised that a shoot would grow forth from the stump of Jesse, a shoot who would restore hope for all the world. And so with your people on earth and with all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in their unending hymn, 
Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. He was born of Mary, a small town girl, who reminds us to say yes to God's nudges and God's movement. Through the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from the slavery of sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and by your Spirit. On the night that he gave himself up for us, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves with praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood, that the work you began in Christ might be made complete in us. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry throughout the world until Christ comes again in final victory and we feast at the heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever, and all God's people said, Amen. Now with the confidence that comes from being children of God, we are bold to pray the prayer that Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Will those who are assisting me in distributing the elements please come forward at this time? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. The bread which we break and the bread which we share, the sharing in the body of Christ. In the same way, the cup over which we give thanks is a sharing. The blood of Christ brings us life, brings us forgiveness, and it makes us family. 
just a moment, you will be invited to come forward. We, we will be given a piece of bread into the cup. We also have gluten-free host available if you so need, just make the request. Um, but please come. You're welcome to kneel or stand at the rail where you will be served. Um, but come and receive these, the free gifts of God.
Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's your announcements team with the December announcements, which is continuing our Black Friday doorbuster deals. That's right. We've extended our time of crazy savings that we're passing on to you for your post-Thanksgiving shopping. You can read all about the coupons by grabbing your copy of the Good News Penny Saver. Brought to you by The Tree Lot, open Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Buy a tree, volunteer, deals, deals, deals. Our first deal is on the 9th of December. It's Mission Sunday and it's 40% off. Bring in proteins to donate to the food pantry. Every Thursday at 7.30 in December, Pastor Steve will be hosting Bible study in the Lofi Low Room. This deal is now 75% off, so get in while the savings are good. Also on the 9th, we are giving away a free Christmas tree to the winner of our annual Chili Cook-Off Challenge. See Jim and Muriel Tyree to sign up to participate in the Chili Cook-Off on the 9th. Then we've got a doorbuster deal of a holiday luncheon for the UMW. It's on the 12th in the social hall for only three, three, three dollars in a donation. <laughs> and the fellowship savings keep rolling with the Christmas Tea Fellowship. This is hosted in the home of the Saint of Savings, the Dame of Deals, Hannah Sack. Please carpool to make parking easier as her parking lot will be full of people looking for deals and tea. The UMW are popping up again with more deals at their UMW pop-up shop. This crazy deal is coming at us on Sunday the 16th right after church. We have word that they will honor competitors' prices. Another two-for-one deal happening on the 20th. Buy one peanut butter and get the jelly for free with the Peanut Butter and Jelly Project. That's the 20th at 10 a.m. in the lounge. Deal. Some people might think it's tacky to have Black Friday extend all the way to the walk to the manger on the 23rd of December, but not us, because we're having our annual walk to the manger sale on the 23rd. And on the 24th, Christmas Eve, we're having not one, not zero, but two Christmas Eve services. The first is at 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary. The second is at 11 p.m., and it is a candlelight service. Be one of the first 2,400 people to attend and win a free candle. Now that is the end of our announcements, but not the end of our savings, because we are slicing our closing hymns in half, 50% off of all verses, where we will now sing only verses 1, 2, 4, and 6 of our closing hymn number 215, To a Maid Engaged Was Joseph. To a maid engaged to Joseph, the angel Gabriel came. Fear not, the angel told her, I come to bring good news. Good news I come to tell you. Good news, I say, good news. For you are highly favored by God, the Lord of all. 
to join us afterwards at our coffee fellowship over in the lounge. Although to get there, I think you have to actually go through the door right here because we have the Christmas tree lot, which, which oh, there'll be way through there as well? Okay, because the tree lot opens at noon. And if you haven't signed up to help, by all means, uh, you can do that through our website. Where there's a sign up thing there because um, we do need lots of help to make that happen and raise money for... Um, to support the outreach work that we do. Um, for now, may the urgings of God move you to step forward out of your comfort zone. May you say, here I am, a servant of the Lord. Go and serve. and Let us be a part of the incarnation of Christ. Go in peace.